This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, I'm pumped about this one, man. I'm in a good mood. Let's get it going. What's going on, everyone? What's up? Welcome to episode 138 of the Moranalytics podcast presented by Paul Cellular. Today's Friday, July 26th. Happy birthday shout-outs. Sandra Bullock, Mick Jagger, Kate Beckinsall, Ari Gold from Entourage. Of course, LeBron James, his mother's favorite basketball player of all time, Delonte West. Happy birthday, you guys. Speaking of you guys, thank all of you guys for listening, for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Literally right now. Coming up on today's episode, yo, football's back. It's back. It's officially back. Training camp started. That also means fantasy football's back. And I got one of, if not the biggest, fantasy football experts in the game today on this podcast. Evan Silva's going to join me. Of course, Evan spent more than a dozen years at Rotor World Sports, NBC Sports, before starting EstablishTheRun.com recently with Adam Levitan. We'll talk about that. Spend some time talking about Evan's life and his career. As always on this podcast, I try to give fans an opportunity. I peel back the curtain a little bit, give you guys a chance to know a little bit more about these guests, but make no mistake about it whatsoever. We're going to spend plenty of time talking fantasy football, both from a Buffalo Bills and from an NFL perspective. We'll start with the Bills and I'll go through each position, all the players involved. Evan's going to name a couple guys that he thinks you should take a couple guys that you might think you want to take that in reality, you should probably stay away from. And then we move on to the NFL and I go through each position, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. I run off rows of three and Evan ranks them one to three with some comments and takes on each of them. We also discuss a handful of under the radar guys, as well as a couple guys who are going to go too early in drafts that he thinks you should be wary of at least early on in the draft. So plenty of information there. Also, like I said, we'll talk about EstablishTheRun.com, which he just recently started with a couple guys. Really solid subscription-based website. And then as always with my guest, we're going to end with the mini lightning round. I'm going to ask him a bunch of fun, random questions. Again, very entertaining, lots of fun, very informative. Evan Silva is going to be my guest. After that, training camp did start for the Buffalo Bills. First practice on Thursday. I took the Twitter and the Facebook and I asked Bills fans to send me your big, bold Bills training camp predictions. You guys and girls came correct. I got some really good ones. Going to read some of them on the air during this episode. I'll have a couple thoughts as well. All that coming up. 
Before I get into today's interviews, though, before the segments, I got to say, and I'm really, really, really pumped about this. This is going to be the last podcast episode that I tape here in my home studio of Lakewood Ranch, Florida for the next couple of weeks. You're hearing us on Friday. Hopefully you're hearing us on Friday. I'm going to be out of plane Saturday morning, flying to my hometown, Buffalo, the 716, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I'm going to be there for almost three weeks. I'm literally getting off a plane on Saturday, getting into my car and going directly to Elmwood Avenue. I'm going to hit Coles and Good Bar, two new wing spots that I haven't had yet to put on my wings, power rankings. Anyway, <laughs> these three weeks are going to be chalk filled with new chicken wing places. But anyway, the reason why I'm most excited about being in Buffalo is I'm going to get an opportunity to do six podcast episodes in Buffalo, sitting down with guests. You know, as much as I love having people on this show, it's not quite the same when you're constantly doing telephone interviews and Skype interviews. I love doing interviews in person, but I really get an opportunity to do that, except for when I'm in Buffalo. Well, I'm going to be in Buffalo, and I got six really, really solid podcast episodes lined up for you guys. I can confirm right now, I got Sal Capaccio. I'm going to be taping an episode with him at O'Neill's in Orchard Park. I'm going to be taping an episode with Tim Graham from The Athletic. We're going to be doing that at Autobahn North in Amherst. I can also confirm that I'm going to be taping an episode with Eric Wood. We're going to be doing that at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna, which is really fitting because Sunny Reds has actually has a signature wing sauce named after Eric Wood. So those three are set in stone, the, the guest and the location. I also got scheduled tapings with Joe Yurden from The Athletic. I got both Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News and Josh Barnett from the Buffalo News in the same episode. And then I got Michelle Girardi somewhat the multi-time award-winning producer who's brought Bills fans treasures like ESPN 30 for 30, Four Falls of Buffalo, and that new Buffalo Bills embedded series on YouTube that's been a huge hit with fans. I'm really excited about that one because this is the first time I'm going to get this chance to interview Michelle, so I'm excited about that. Anyway, those three, I don't have the location set quite yet, but I will in a matter of days. Follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran tweets, and I will drop as they become available exactly who I'm going to be with, where I'm going to be with them, and what time we're going to tape. If you guys want to come out, say hello to me, say hello to Sal or Tim, or whoever my guest is for that episode, more than welcome to. I'd be happy to see you. So lots to look forward to over these next couple of weeks coming up in Buffalo. But that's coming up soon. Let's get into today. Really pumped about this episode. This was a fun interview. Very informative. Here it is. From EstablishTheRun.com, here's Evan Silva. Let's do it. All right, through the years, my guest today has become a pioneer in the world of fantasy football, providing content over the past dozen plus years at Roto World that millions of fantasy football owners have consumed, including myself. His matchup column has become legendary in the fantasy football world. Now he's co-founded EstablishTheRun.com with Adam Levitan. It's a subscription-based website whose description reads, gives the fans the most intelligent, thorough, timely, and accurate football analysis on the internet, period. I am talking about my man, Evan Silva. What's going on, dude? How you doing, man? It's been a long time coming. Finally got you on the podcast. What's up? What's up, Pat? Uh, it's good to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for the kind intro. It's good to be able to do this because I think we tried to get together for a podcast last year, but it just didn't work out due to timing or whatever. But yeah, I'm glad we're getting it done. 
Um, you've had some pretty big name guys on this show. All those uh, studs in Buffalo, Joe Biscaglia and Ty Dunn and Tim Graham. And of course, Adam Schefter, who's your pinned tweet. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm privileged to be in that company. Thank you so much for having me on, Pat. Oh, man, I'm just glad to have you on. Finally, you said it. We've been trying to hook up for a while. Schedules just haven't worked out. You're, you're a busy guy, man. And I'm a big fan of yours. I ha- I really am. And I've relied on your fantasy football expertise for a long time now. Uh, I haven't won shit, really, but I, I blame myself more than you. That's just a lot of bad homer decisions on my end. And, you know, bad homer decisions usually lead to L's in the standings every year. I, I, I kind of want to keep my typical format. I'm going to give fans an opportunity to know a little bit more about you. But before we get there, I wanted to start here. I'm a Buffalo Bills guy. This is primarily a Buffalo sports podcast. And you're a guy who, in the interest of fairness here, has had every reason because the Buffalo Bills, let's face it, they've stunk for the majority of the last two decades since 2017 when they finally made the playoffs. And as a result, you've been pretty hard on the Bills. And that's, I've seen this on Twitter. It's drawn the ire of tons of Buffalo Bills fans, I see them coming at you. You going back at them sometimes. Is that something that you get used to in the line of work that you do? Not necessarily just in Buffalo, but around everywhere. People out there, they're not reading what you want them to say. And as a result, they get pissed off at you. Does that ever get to a point where it's like, wow, man, this is getting to be a lot. You know what I mean? Um. It just depends on the feedback, I guess, you know, the extent of the feedback. Um, I definitely respect the opinions of fans and, um, you know, if they're willing to have like a a reasonable conversation, I'll definitely listen to it. But yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, kind of hard on the bills. I've also been like correct on, on the bills, you know, in recent years. But, but here's the thing, like, I think that the era was starting to teeter up on the bills and, Um, you know, I was, I've been going through, uh, I've been doing a bunch of team previews recently and, uh, every year there are five or six, uh, teams that like I I look at, uh, in terms of like their Vegas win total. So Vegas sets, you know, a projected win total for each NFL team. And, um, the bills this year, are one of my favorite over bets this year, because their, their win total, depending on where you look is like six or six and a half. And I think that this is a seven to eight win team um, with a chance to maybe win nine, especially like if the Patriots fall off the cliff. I mean, you know, that that can happen unannounced. You remember when uh, the Broncos, like Peyton Manning fell off the cliff. Right. You know, um, you, you, you can really, they, you know, teams can really take a step back. And, and the Patriots obviously have been dominant in the AFC East for shoot two decades. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the Bills a little bit. Uh, I like to talk about the Bills because – I think that um, although, you know, I have trepidation about them because I think that they're very much like a, a cronyism uh, run team where they're, they're just constantly like hiring their friends and signing players that, you know, used to play for the Panthers because, you know, that's where uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott came from. Uh, at the same time, I think that they have kind of learned from some of their mistakes early on, like especially like like a Kelvin Benjamin, right? Sort of, and we'll talk about him uh, uh, later in the podcast. But um, I think that they have done a good job of of learning from their mistakes. I like how they they were kind of um, 
transparent when it came to their post-draft uh, process because they put out some videos that I think were very revealing about right. the, yeah, which I think were amazing. I mean, if, if anybody, you know, just took the, took the off season off and didn't pay attention to that, like, please go try to find that stuff on YouTube. You can learn a lot about a team, especially the bills and the Colts were great about kind of putting out, you know, being kind of transparent about their process. And you can just learn a lot about a team by seeing how they operate. And I understand that they're not going to give us everything, you know, but um, I, I gain respect for the organization after watching those videos. Yeah, for sure. You're referring to uh, Bills Embedded, the four-part series on the Bills YouTube channel. Michelle Girardi Z and her crew, they do amazing work with that. Anyway, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills in a couple of minutes. Before that, though, like I said at the top, keep it with the, the format of the podcast. I want to go back to the beginning for you, give fans an opportunity to know a little bit more about you. I know you live in Chicago. Are you from Chicago originally? And who are a couple of your favorite sports teams as a young kid? I'm sure you're a sports fan going all the way back to being a young kid. Who were a couple of your favorite sports teams and a few of your favorite athletes growing up as a young kid? No, so I actually... Uh, I moved to Chicago after college because I was just like, I'm going to move to the best city in America or the second oh, okay. best, second best city behind Buffalo. Okay. <laughs> um, so Evans I, pandering I, already folks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I actually grew up in Northern Virginia, just outside Washington, DC until I was 11 years old. And then, uh, my mom remarried and I moved to St. Louis, uh, and I went to high school there. Uh, but I was certainly a, a big sports fan. My my first love was baseball and the Baltimore Orioles. This was before the Washington Nationals were in the, um, the you know the Northern Virginia area. And right. then I was in St. Louis for the greatest show on turf. So I was a Rams fan for a while, but then they left for Los Angeles, and I really at this point have no allegiance to any team. At this point, my favorite players growing up were Cal Ripken. Uh, Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Reverend Ike, and uh, Marshall Falk. All right. So throughout this conversation today, Evan, I might take the bike and ride off the path a little bit before eventually getting back on, and especially when you say something that catches my ear and makes me want to follow up with something. And that's the case right now. You were just talking about not having any attachment to any one specific team. Because of that, because you don't have a quote-unquote favorite team does that actually make doing your job a little bit easier i mean it just it try it helps me like stay objective you know yeah um I, I i'm glad that i don't have any allegiance to any nfl team my allegiance is to teams that are doing smart things you know and um you know that's kind of where where i'm at right now because you know i i, I edited uh, uh warren sharp's book for the last two years and you know, he's he's not allegiant to any team either. He's allegiant to efficiency, just team efficiency. And so that's kind of who he roots for, the teams that, you know, are being most efficient. And I've kind I've kind of, you know, met him there as well. Like I just I like teams that are doing smart things. Right. So I know a lot of sports fans who just because they're sports fans aren't necessarily fans of fantasy sports, more specifically fantasy football. Obviously that's never been the case with you do you remember when that bug first hit you where you could say to yourself i remember becoming a fantasy sports fan or fantasy football fan so my dad played in office fantasy football and baseball leagues and 
in their football league, they rotated commissioners every year for the football league. And my dad didn't want to put in the time to be the commissioner when it was his year to come around. He was busy with work or whatever. So he let me handle it basically at age like seven and eight. Um, and I got real into it. This was before online, you know, Yahoo and ESPN really took off, of course. So as a kid, like I, I'd read the newspaper to tally up all the fantasy points every Monday morning. And that was probably my foundation for loving to just learn about players. Why were they scoring fantasy points? You know, learning about the league and combining that with when you combine that with like collecting baseball and football cards, you know, it just became about just wanting to learn about the players and, you know, why were they, you know, let's say in baseball, like why were they hitting in a certain spot in the lineup or, you know, in the NFL, like why was this guy, you know, why did he have, you know, a big time like yards per carry, but he wasn't the starter, you know, all, all that kind of thing. All, all those kind of things kind of contributed to my strong interest in, in sports in general. Dating back to your high school years, and we'll talk about college in a minute here. Did you have aspirations at that time, knowing what you wanted to do with your life? Did you want to be an athlete? Did you want to be in sports media? Did you want to grow up and do something that had nothing to do with sports, dating back to those high school years? Do you remember what those aspirations were? I mean... I think everybody grew up wanting to, or at least, you know, all my friends grew up wanting to be like professional athletes. I, you know, and as I got a little bit older, I kind of understood that I wasn't going to be a pro athlete. I wanted to be a lawyer like my dad. And, um, you know, I, I, I studied uh, political science and philosophy in college. And, um, when I graduated from college, I really didn't want to go to school anymore. I was just kind of done with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a, a professional athlete when I was a young, naive child. Uh, but, you know, as, as I grew more and more, you know, I, I understood that, you know, where my strengths and weaknesses were. And, you know, I, I didn't have that quick twitch athleticism that you needed to be, you know, that you needed to like, you know, play on the basketball team. I went to a, a high school where that has produced like David Lee and Bradley Beal and, J- and Jason Tatum. Oh, wow. And I, I couldn't make the, I couldn't make the, the basketball team. And on the football team, I was like, I was like, you know, a guy like a rotational guy. So, um, you know, I kind of understood that I, I didn't have that skill set as an athlete. And so that that kind of drove me into just like, you know, loving sports and trying to find a different path to make it part of my life. So you're born in northern Virginia. You grow up in part in St. Louis. And then for college, you go to Milwaukee, Marquette University. Why did you choose to go to Marquette University for college? And were there other schools that you considered or was it Marquette for you all the way? Well, I I really wanted to go to Notre Dame. You know, that's where my dad went. But I was really inconsistent in high school. Like I I got good grades as a junior. But then as a senior, I totally like, you know, fell victim to the senior slide. So I was never going to get into Notre Dame. And Marquette was kind of my next best option. Uh, And it was and I, I went there and it was a good it was a really good time. I went there uh, when Dwayne Wade was there. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and I got to go to the Final Four in New Orleans, uh, which was just a blast. We got Damn, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. by uh, uh, Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich, that Kansas team. I think we lost by like 30 yeah. uh, in the first round of the Final Four. And it, it was interesting. Like all my, all my classmates just went home after that. I was like, I am not going home. Like I am staying in New Orleans for two more days. It's you know, Carmel, it was Syracuse. It was Syracuse against KU. 
and it was Carmelo Anthony as a freshman. So, you know, I, I knew at that point really that I, I think I like loved sports more than even my, you know, my closest friends who were all big sports fans, but they left after we got smoked. And I was like, no, man, like I am going to go watch Carmelo Anthony against Kirk Heinrich and Nick Collison. That's awesome. And that's really cool that your dad was a Notre Dame guy. I'm a Notre Dame guy. Well, hold on there. Let me take that back. I'm a Notre Dame fan. I've always been a Notre Dame football fan. I didn't actually go there. Your dad went there. That's really cool. So we'll talk about Roto World in a second. Before that, though, before you got there, had you previously had any of your fantasy football work published anywhere before you got to Roto World? No, I, I didn't have anything published. I was I was a pup, you know. Um, I uh, got out of college. I went back home and I, I uh, moved back in with my parents for a very short time. Sporting News was based in St. Louis. And one day I actually went to the Sporting News headquarters and I showed them a bunch of stuff that I had written on my own. Like I used to write up these season previews for every sport, college basketball, baseball, college football, NFL, et cetera. And I just do them on my typewriter as like a little kid and then later on my computer. But they were not interested at all in hiring me. And, um, you know, that was my first like kind of rejection, I guess. Uh, sucks. But how did the opportunity come about for you to get into that? Like at Roto World, how did that opportunity for you come about? What was that process? Well, I was a, a Roto World reader at first. You know, I would read the baseball player news blurbs, uh, which were primarily written by a guy named Matthew Poliot. And Matthew Poliot had read Bill James and he wrote these just fantastic blurbs. I mean, they were often very snarky and like funny. You know, you could read them and, and you would be laughing. Like he would criticize managers. He'd criticize the lineups that would be put out by teams. Like, why are they batting this guy leadoff when he can't get on base? And Matthew Poliot approached them from a very analytical and predictive mindset. You know, they weren't just recaps of what happened in the past. They had a predictive spin. And I thought that that was super cool. And I wanted to kind of do that by myself. So um, I just emailed the website and I told them that I would write for free. Uh, Greg Rosenthal, who is now at NFL Network slash NFL.com, he got back to me. Uh, he didn't even like me at first. Uh, he thought I was like too persistent. Um, we, we actually did a, a podcast about this recently. Um, and uh, but they but they wound up letting me write for free for six months. And I showed them that I was willing to work really, really hard and pour myself into it. And then they hired me for 500 bucks a week for that first season in 2006. How did you start to make a name for yourself and build your brand? Obviously, it was no overnight thing and it's a process. Yeah, you know, there really was not a lot of nuance to it. It was just working hard as hell. I'd work 16 hours a day writing articles, updating our website, reading articles and writing our player news blurbs, um, adding a ton of different things to the site like I made a contract page. Uh, we started updating our depth charts, you know, stuff that they did not have at Roto World before. And I was a decent enough writer, uh, but I had to get way better. And the only way to get way better as a writer is to write more and more. And I just wake up in the morning, you know, like seven, eight in the morning. And I work on Roto World all day and night. And then I would go to bed at like midnight and then I do it all over the again the next day. And I mean, I did that for, you know, seven years. All right, I'm taking that bike and riding off that chronological path there again for a second. So you made a big name for yourself in the world of fantasy football. I've had a lot of people on this podcast, sports writers, 
uh, sportscasters, TV people, stuff like that. And they're so entrenched in their work. It's such a big part of their lives, obviously, that outside of the job, you kind of want to have a separate life. Does it ever get to a point for you where, say, like, because you're the fantasy football guy and that's what everyone knows you at, but when you might be at a family party or a bar with a couple of your buddies, maybe your mind shuts down and you don't want to talk about fantasy football. You don't want to give advice. You don't want solicited advice or unsolicited advice, I should say, from people who are asking you, even if they are friends or family. Does it ever get annoying to you every now and then when maybe you don't want to talk about it, but you're still constantly being asked at all times, even well beyond the realm of your job about fantasy football. Does it ever get to you a little bit? No, no. I mean, I like to talk about football, man, you know, and I'm, yeah, I'm you always, sound like that kind of guy. That's a good thing. That's, that's a, that's a compliment. <laughs> I'm, I'm always down to talk ball. Um, it doesn't matter who it's with, you know, I mean, no, I just, I like to talk about football. All right. Well, let's talk about football, man. Do you ever think it's a mistake fantasy football players will make that maybe they spend too much time studying and learning about the very top of fantasy football drafts and not enough time in those mid to late rounds where championships are won or lost. I, I feel like you constructed this this question from experience, and I would say that <laughs> I would say that the answer is definitely. You know, I think the best way to draft in fantasy football is to separate players into tiers, and when you separate guys into tiers manual on manually on your own. Um, you really get a feel for how nitpicky it is to, you know, go back and forth all day about Devontae Adams versus DeAndre Hopkins, you know, especially if you're doing stat projections too. I mean, you know, they're like three points apart. So once you kind of acknowledge that there just isn't a big difference between guys that are in the same tier, you understand that creating the tiers and separating the guys into the correct t- tiers is more important than the rankings inside the individual tiers, if that makes sense. And yeah. your goal, yeah. All right, well, tiers is a brilliant segue into talking fantasy football now. And let's start out with uh, with the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about the Bills first, and then we'll hit on general NFL stuff after that. Let's start with the quarterback, of course, Josh Allen. Not great with his arm last year as a rookie, as expected, but... Made a lot of plays with his legs last year. Was a big-time fantasy football asset solely because of his legs as a rookie last year. Now going into year two, I don't think that we could realistically expect him to continue to make the type of plays with his legs that he did last year. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would also think conversely that in year two, we could hope that his accuracy will improve and his passing stats will improve. When it comes to Josh Allen right now, as a Bills quarterback, as a fantasy football asset, where do you think he's ranked? What tier is he in for you right now? Yeah, so I'm higher than the consensus on Josh Allen this year. I have him as the uh, number 13 overall fantasy quarterback. He's still a late-round quarterback, but his upside is as high as anyone's in his own tier because of what he can do as a rusher primarily, but also because he's so aggressive pushing the ball downfield. You know, he attempted the – the uh, the, the uh, 20 plus yard throws at the highest rate in the NFL last year. And then from weeks 12 through 17, and man, I'm telling you, Pat, I played him in DFS every single week from weeks 12 through 17. He scored more fantasy points than any quarterback in the league yeah. during that time period. And uh, if you want to look for like 
on and off splits, which are, are really popular in, um, in NBA. But if you just pull like one guy out of the offense in uh, NFL, you can really get a clear picture. Last year, Josh Allen scored 9.6 more fantasy points per game in games where Kelvin Benjamin did not play. Okay. Kelvin Benjamin was a severe drain on the Bills offense last year. And Josh Allen's supporting cast is much better this year. 9.6 more fantasy points per game is ridiculous. That will take you from like quarterback, you know, 19 to quarterback one. I mean, it's it's that big of a it's that drastic of a difference. And that was the case for him last year. And again, you know, th- this is why I'm higher than consensus on Josh Allen this season is because he's not playing with, you know, he's not surrounded by bums anymore. Well, you say he's got a better supporting cast, so let's talk about them. Let's talk about the receivers. They had Cole Beasley. They had John Brown. They have Robert Foster, who did some good things as a rookie last year, undrafted rookie, especially in the second half of the season. And then you got Zay Jones. So the weapons for Josh Allen, especially with guys like Benjamin Gone, Charles Clay, I think the weapons for Josh Allen are definitely better going into this season but from a fantasy football perspective, when it comes to these receivers, because there's no standout guy among those four, there's definitely not, at least at this time anyway, no consensus, quote unquote, number one wide receiver. Do you feel like wide receiver is a position that fantasy football people should kind of stay away from right now when it comes to the Bills? Um, generally, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a, a place in, in every single draft for, you know, that where a guy makes sense, but Certainly Robert Foster is the most interesting guy from the Bills pass catcher core because, number one, he already has the established rapport with Josh Allen. Um, we know he's got big playability. He, run, he ran 4-4-1 coming out of Alabama. He led all rookie receivers in yards per route run last year, and that's one of the most predictive metrics that pro football focus produces, and it's a good indicator of skill. If you go back and look at all the rookie receivers over the last like 10 years, that led all rookies in yards per route run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's like a really, really high hit rate. Um, and then if you isolate just his final seven games, and one of those games was w- that Matt Barkley game, which, by the way, was a really fun game, but, you know, it's, it's not a Josh Allen game. But uh, if you isolate just Robert Foster's last seven games, because the dude got cut in October, you know, and then they had to bring him back. But his statistical pace over that seven-game stretch, if you like extrapolate to a 16-game season, 16-game season, he would have been on pace for 57 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and seven touchdowns. And those are pretty good fantasy stats if he can put all that together this year. Wow. I'm with Evan Silva from EstablishTheRun.com. Let's talk about the Bills running backs because I think this is really interesting. Of course, you got LaShawn McCoy the big name, but he was not good last year. Okay. Let's just face it. He was terrible last year. Bad offensive line in front of him. There's some excuses, but at the same token, he just was not the same player. So you got him. They want a free agency. The bills go out and they sign a guy even older than him. Frank Gore, one of the all time greats, but at the end of his career, of course, a week before the NFL draft, they go out and they get TJ Yeldon who has fantasy football value from a PPR perspective, at least anyway, he catches a lot of passes out of the backfield. So you got three veterans, which made me think that the bills were going to wait until next year to address running back in the draft, but they didn't. They actually, and they use a third round pick to take Devin Singletary, who I believe was like the second or third running back taken off the board. So now the bills are going into training camp right now. 
with three veteran running backs plus a third-round rookie from a fantasy football perspective? Because, again, I think this is interesting. How do you see things playing out here? If we're talking about it right now, I think it's a situation to avoid. You know, And I think that if they move on from LaShawn McCoy, that could change. Uh, Sean McDermott has come out and said, no, they're not moving on from LaShawn McCoy. Uh, but I think that, you know, based on watching him look at and, you know, looking at his statistics and his metrics, I think he's kind of on his last legs. And then, you know, there are a lot of guys in the backfield, as you mentioned, to take carries and touches. Uh, Frank Gore, Devin Singletary, TJ Yeldon. And the worst part of it is that that Josh Allen is going to pull the ball down and run in scoring situations like in the red zone. Yeah. So that kind of hurts the other guys touchdown upside. So that's another kind of feather in the cap of Josh Allen that because he's willing to be an improvisational runner, um, you know, if he scores seven, eight touchdowns as a runner, that's just a massive boost to his his fantasy expectation. Maybe things will change as we get through camp, but right now I don't really want anyone in the Bills' backfield uh, from a running back uh, standpoint. All right, moving on to tight end, a position that for the Buffalo Bills has been mediocre seemingly forever, literally the history of the franchise. It just the Bills have not had a lot of very productive tight ends. Charles Clay never worked out the way fans hoped he would when he signed a big contract coming over from the Miami Dolphins in 2015. You had Tyler Croft. That's the guy they signed. He was to be the starter, but he's going to be out at least the beginning of the year with a broken foot. The Bills did trade up two fourth-round picks to move up into the third round and draft Dawson Knox, a guy who seemingly has a lot of upside, but at the same token, had very to little no college production. What are your thoughts on him? Is he a guy that you think has good upside? Are you excited about him? Yeah, I think if you're in a dynasty league and you're looking more long-term, then Dawson Knox is pretty interesting based on his athleticism. He's uh, the number four spark athlete among tight ends in this year's class. And I think that that's why the Bills drafted him as early as they did. As you mentioned, the production was not there. He had zero touchdowns in 18 games in college. But... Man, that that offense was just it was it was awful. I don't know if you got to watch very much of it um, before the draft, but that Ole Miss offense was, and they had a, a ton of NFL players. I mean, they had Dawson Knox, they had um, DK Metcalf, they had um, AJ Brown, they had uh, also uh, Demarcus Lodge, who got signed by the the Buccaneers as an undrafted free agent. I mean, they had a bunch of NFL prospects in that offense. And it was just a really frustrating offense to watch. Like watching Dawson Knox, like you're not going to learn anything from that. You you can go back and watch Dawson Knox. He was like an H-back. He was like a blocking fullback almost. Um, But that doesn't mean that – but I think that they see more in him because of his athleticism. And I get it. You know, George Kittle was kind of like that at at Iowa. Um, Did not have a lot of production. Did have really good athleticism. Could block. So that got him on the field. And then, hey, he took off once they started actually throwing the ball to him. So I think that that's kind of the, you know, the the blueprint for a Dawson Knox. Not that he's going to become George Kittle, but I do think he's a, a decent like dynasty league pick. I don't think you want to take him in your a standard season long redraft league. So to put a wrap on the Buffalo Bills, you're saying that Josh Allen's definitely worth taking a pick on, just not very early in a draft. Somebody like Robert Foster is worth a pick in the mid to later rounds, while a guy like Dawson Knox is probably worth a flyer at best right now with some upside. 
But that's pretty much it when it comes to the Buffalo Bills from a fantasy perspective. And so just for fans out there listening, Evan ain't hating on the Bills, man. He's not saying that the Bills are going 4-12 and this year. We're talking purely fantasy football purposes. So am I pretty accurate in that? You got Allen, Foster later on, and maybe a flyer on Dawson Knox. No, hey, you talked to me last year. I'm telling you the Bills are going 4-12. and 12, But uh, <laughs> not, not this year. I, I kind of like the Bills. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's Josh Allen and then Robert Foster late. And then just kind of let anybody else draft the Bills. Why do you think, is it because they just have a, a reputation for losing for so many years? Before we move on to a couple NFL things here, they did sign a lot of guys. The offensive line was a disaster last year, and this is not a fantasy question. It's just a general football question here. They addressed the offensive line big time. They signed like six or seven free agents. They used a second-round pick on Cody Ford. There's a lot they did. They added Brown and Beasley to the receivers. The defense is already was a good defense, and that's gotten a little better. They used a ninth pick on Ed Oliver, yet... You said this earlier on in our conversation. They're only even right where they were last year, or maybe a half a game projected to be better than they were last year. Why do you think that is? Um, first of all, it's just it's hard to win in the NFL, you know. And I, I know that that sounds very rudimentary and simplistic, but it's it's hard to win. Uh, they, you know, they're they're not like they're not project. You know, I wouldn't project them to finish. You know, uh, top half of the league in scoring. Um, but I would project them to finish top half of the league in uh, points allowed. You know, like, in, like I, I think that their defense is legit. People, some people question their pass rush. Like, people don't know, even know anything about Jerry Hughes. You know, that was one of the best trades um, that any team has pulled off in the last, like, five years. Uh, yeah. when, when, when the Bills were able to acquire him. You remember who they acquired him for? Here's, here's a pop quiz. Calvin, Calvin Shepard. That, exactly. that was my guy coming out of college. But, yeah, he didn't do much uh, in the NFL. He's not for Buffalo. Anyway. He's played for like, you know, nine teams and he's never been good. What a steal of a trade that they got him for. Um, you know, people used to uh, rip like uh, that the Colts GM, Ryan. Well, they, people rip Colts, the old Colts GM, Ryan Grigson for everything. But that was the worst trade that he made. That was by far the worst trade that he made. Um, and the Bills were able to capitalize. That was Doug Whaley pulling the trigger on that. Um, but but still, you know, the the Bills do have pass rush. They have, you know, that number two cornerback situation, I think, is a question mark. But they've also shown the ability to kind of like manufacture good play from that number two cornerback situation uh, opposite Tredavious White. Um, you know, they, they've gotten good snaps out of like random guys. Yeah. At times. You know, their safeties are excellent. Um, and, you know, they and they have so much athleticism now at linebacker with Matt Milano and uh, Tremaine Edwards. They're going to be a top 12 defense at worst. All right. I like that. I think any Buffalo Bills fan would gladly take that top 12 defense for this season for sure. So let's have a little fun. I want to go beyond just the scope of the Buffalo Bills here. There's a lot of fantasy football fans who are going to be listening to this podcast. Maybe they don't necessarily care about the Bills. So let's talk about the NFL and a more broader scope right now. What I want to do is run down some of the positions and We'll do a little bit of an exercise here. I'm going to name three guys from each position. Let's pretend that I'm on the clock right now and all three guys are available. You tell me in order, one through three, which one I should take in what order. Let's start at quarterback right now. And the guys I got listed are Patrick Mahomes, Russ Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. So I actually have Deshaun Watson as my number one fantasy quarterback this year. And I realize that he's not among these three that you mentioned. Okay. Um, and I think, and, and that's a bit contrarian, but 
Deshaun Watson scored more fantasy points per game as a rookie than Patrick Mahomes did last year. He's more productive as a runner, you know, and that gives him a big edge because if he rushes for 40 yards in a game and Deshaun Watson has averaged 36 rushing yards per game in his career, it's like adding an extra touchdown pass. And that's not even accounting for rushing touchdowns. And Deshaun Watson has averaged about a rushing touchdown every third game. So I have Deshaun Watson, number one. I have Patrick Mahomes as a very, very close second. I actually might change this um, because, you know, Tyreek Hill kind of escaping the suspension put, you know, created a lot of doubt in my mind about that. But then I have Andrew Luck third and I have Aaron Rodgers fourth, Baker Mayfield fifth and Russell Wilson sixth. So among the three quarterbacks that you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes first, uh, Aaron Rodgers second, and then Russell Wilson third. Okay. Running backs. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. Obviously love all three of those guys. What are we looking at here? My top four running backs in fantasy for 2019 are number one, Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Ezekiel Elliott. Number three, Saquon Barkley. Number four, Alvin Kamara. And I have McCaffrey and Zeke ahead of Saquon Barkley because I just trust their offenses so much more than I do the Giants. All right, so obviously you're not too concerned about any contract squabbles with Zeke Elliott. What about Melvin Gordon, though? What's your level of concern with that contract situation going into the season, or at least in the training camp right now? Yeah, you know, it's if you want to like compare and contrast it to the Le'Veon Bell situation last year, like Le'Veon Bell had a lot more on the line. He had almost a million dollars per week on the line. It was 14.6 or 14.5 million uh, over the course of the season. All that was guaranteed. Melvin Gordon's contract. Uh, is only guaranteed for injury. He's owed $5.6 million. So it's about a third of what Le'Veon Bell was was looking at last year. And that does kind of scare me. And so I, I moved Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson up my rankings because, and, and I moved Melvin Gordon down because um, I, I think there's legitimate concern. Okay, here's three more running backs. I got Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Todd Gurley. Bell obviously didn't even play last year. David Johnson, down here on not his just a terrible, awful Arizona team last year. And then Todd Gurley, who was a stud all year, but really faded. Who knows how hard he was down the stretch. If you got to take them three right now, 2019, how would you rank those three? So I have David Johnson number five among running backs. So he's my clear one among this group. Okay. Uh, the Cardinals were probably the worst coach team in the NFL, as you mentioned. They ran bunch formations. David Johnson ran in uh, between the guards on 66% of his rushing attempts last year. And they did not get him out in space. They did not use him enough as a receiver. I think that's going to be completely opposite in a Cliff Kingsbury offense where the entire you know strategy is to get guys into space and to spread out the field. Uh, so I have David Johnson, the clear one. Le'Veon Bell as the number two in this group. Um, I don't trust the offense. I don't trust Adam Gase, but – uh, I think if you were just going to do a statistical projection for which running backs in the NFL are going to have the most touches, Le'Veon Bell is like top three. So I, I have uh, Le'Veon Bell second here. And then Todd Gurley, just too much risk. You know, I have him as the RB16 overall. And he's a guy that I'm just letting other people draft. All right, let's move on to wide receivers. I got DeAndre Hopkins. I got Odell Beckham Jr. And I got Michael Thomas. What are you thinking there? DeAndre Hopkins is my number two overall receiver behind Devontae Adams. Odell Beckham is my number three overall receiver behind Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins. And then Michael Thomas, 
I have kind of lower than consensus because I have Tyreek Hill ahead of him. Um, and I'm thinking about moving Juju Smith-Schuster ahead of him and Mike Evans. Michael Thomas last year really benefited from the Saints having almost no other options. Go back and look at what they had. You know, it's Alvin Kamara getting targets and then not a whole lot else. This year they have Jared Cook. Uh, who's going to pull some targets away from him. And they also have not been a super pass-heavy offense because their defense has gotten a lot better and their run game has gotten a lot better. Their offensive line is so good. Michael Thomas thrived on receptions last year, 125 receptions, most in the league. If he drops down to like 103 or something, you know, it's gonna take a, it, he's going to take a really big hit um, across formats. All right, let's take a quick break here so I can tell you about one of our show sponsors. Today's episode is being brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service at less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS. They have you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text, premium fast LTE data plans, Hotspot coverage at no additional cost in all 50 states as well as the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. If you don't want to buy a new phone, you want to keep your old one, you almost certainly can. If you don't want a new phone number, you want to keep your old one, you definitely can. There are no credit checks, there's no contracts, there's no overage costs. Go visit PulseCellular.com, check out their plans. As a bonus, put in promo code Moran on any online order and you'll receive another 10% off the price of any phone or plan. I'm telling you, you can't beat it. Find out for yourself what more and more people are finding out each and every single day. Life is better with Pulse. Now, back to the interview. All right, sticking with wide receivers here, I wanted to ask you, Antonio Brown, you think he's still going to have elite wide receiver numbers this year in Oakland? Obviously, that's a guy, very sore subject when it comes to, I mean, this is primarily a Buffalo sports podcast, which by the way, before you answer that, when that all went down earlier this spring and it looked like he was going to Buffalo, what were your initial thoughts on that? Were you shocked? I was shocked that it almost happened to begin with. What were your initial thoughts on that? Uh, surprise would definitely be one of the... Um you know, the, the feelings that I experienced when that occurred, it was just, it was a crazy, it was like on like a Friday night. Wasn't it like on a Friday I, night? I think it was a Thursday night. It was a late a Thursday, Thursday night. night. I had just taped my podcast for the next morning and I was like, oh shit, man, I'm going to have to go re-record this because <laughs> this is going down. Yeah, it was crazy because it, and it, it was only coming from one source and I'm not going to like call out the, you know, the, the reporter that reported it. Um, but apparently the reporter that reported it had gotten like two days old information. It was like chasing like a false lead. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it was just, it was a, it was a wild, wild time. You know, I, I remember it, it was late at night, you know, it was late at night. I, I, I couldn't go to bed that night Me neither. because yeah, I mean, it, it went to like midnight or, you know, or like even like two in the morning and then kind of Schefter kind of clarified everything I, yeah, I, I, I would say surprise would be the best way to describe it for, for myself. It was definitely fun to think about and envision, but at the end of the day, I think it worked out good for Buffalo. I just could never imagine Antonio Brown being there. And I think it worked out because had he signed there, 
forget just whatever draft compensation they would have lost. I don't think they would have been able to do a lot of things they did in free agency, especially addressing the offensive line, not to mention who knows how he works out with Josh Allen. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He is with Oakland right now from a fantasy football perspective. Do you still expect elite wide receiver production from him? No, I do not. I think he's going to be a disappointment. First of all, let's look at what he did last year. His yards per route run, his yards per target, I mean, they were all like five, six-year lows. And he's 31 years old now, and I think the Bills actually kind of escaped a potential problem um, because, you know, his success has kind of gone to his head. And I don't want to focus too much on – trying to dissect him from a personality standpoint. Right. But I don't think that Josh Allen, it was the kind of player to uh, kind of quarterback to get the ball to him consistently. One thing that you could always bank on about Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh is that he and Ben Roethlisberger had this like on field mind melt, you know, like he, like Ben Roethlisberger always knew where he was going to be and he could improvise in his, in his route running and Ben could get him the rock. Ben had a great arm, very accurate arm, and, you know, w- was willing to put up with and, – and Antonio Brown in the beginning, I mean, hey, he was a six-round pick. He was a humble guy kept coming out of Central Michigan. You remember his quarterback was uh, – God, who was his quarterback? It was a guy named Dan Lefevre yeah. from Michigan. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, – uh, but he, you know, he was a great return specialist and – Look, man, you know, he's had he's one of the greatest receivers of all time. But uh, I don't think that he I don't think he would have been a good fit for the Bills. I really don't. And I think that, you know, getting a, a bunch of kind of more humble guys like John Brown and, you know, um, Cole Beasley and, you know, Robert Foster was undrafted. I think that this is a much better fit for uh, Josh Allen and just his kind of progression as an early career quarterback. Uh, I, but I, I th- but in terms of like ex- expectations for 2019, mine are pretty low. I think he's a boomer bus guy. Bus guy. First of all, last year I, I mentioned how his like his efficiency metrics had uh, kind of declined. He also the reason that he was still good in fantasy last year is he scored 15 touchdowns. That was the most in his career. It was the most in the NFL last year. It wasn't because he had his best yardage year. It wasn't because he had his yet you know best efficiency year. Is because he scored so many damn touchdowns. And I think that his touchdowns would have plummeted in Buffalo. And I think they're going to plummet in Oakland. And I think that there is some like, you know, combustion, um, like blow up potential in Oakland. I think it's going to not be a good team. I mean, this is a team that has a six win total. You know, it's even lower than the Bills. And um, if they start losing and Antonio Brown's not getting the rock, like it's not going to go well for Derek Carr. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. And from a Buffalo perspective, when and if it does happen, it'll make me even more happy that that trade was never consummated by Buffalo. So anyway, when it comes to the wide receivers, you've already talked about Antonio Brown, and you've also talked about Michael Thomas potentially being a disappointment. Not a disappointment, but a disappointment relative to where he may get drafted. I'm getting a little bit greedy here, but you know what? I'm going to be greedy, man. Give me one more wide receiver that maybe fantasy football fans should be a little bit wary about drafting too early. Yeah, I actually think that the Vikings receivers, who I think are really, really good receivers, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, I think they could both disappoint. And I think that that's primarily because of the Vikings' offensive philosophy. If 
you go back and look at how they play at night in, in Warren Sharp's book, he talks about this extensively. The Vikings were one of the most pass heavy teams in the NFL last year with John Filippo as their offensive coordinator. Mike Zimmer fired John Filippo after 13 games in the final three games. Kirk Cousins went from averaging over 40 pass attempts per game to like 27 pass attempts per game. Adam Thielen went from averaging almost 11 targets per game to four targets per game. It's a very small sample size, okay? But I think that all the moves that they made, they drafted a first-round center. They drafted, you know, Alexander Madison in the third round. They hired Gary Kubiak. They do not want to throw the ball as often as they did last year. They were sixth in the NFL in pass attempts. They were 27th in rushing attempts. And I think that's going to hurt Stefan Diggs. I think it's going to hurt Adam Thielen. And I think they're still like high floor fantasy picks, but I think that they are going to be guys that disappoint if you're looking for upside. All right, let's finish this part of the segment with a couple tight ends. We ain't going to talk about kickers, man. We don't do kickers on this podcast. Three tight ends. You got Travis Kelsey, you got George Kittle, you got Zach Ertz. Hit me off, man. One, two, three. What do you got? Oh, man, I had this uh, whole, you know, Greg Zierlein uh, segment all lined up for you. (laughs) Steven Hoska, baby. All right. But uh, no, what what are we talking about? Tight ends? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I have them, you know, Travis Kelsey, number one, George Kittle, very close second. And then I have Zach Ertz third. I actually think that Zach Ertz is in danger of being a severe disappointment this year. This past season, he set his career uh, uh, best in terms of targets by a 44 target margin. And he set his career best in terms of catches by a 38 catch margin. And they added Miles Sanders. They added Jordan Howard. They added J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. You go back and look at uh, Zach Ertz's numbers when uh, Alshon Jeffrey was out for the first two or three games last year. Zach Ertz was getting double-digit targets every single one of those games. You know, I just think the Eagles are going to throw a lot less. And Zach Ertz has kind of overshot his touchdown projection for the past two years. He's kind of scored more touchdowns than he should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's actually – he's a guy that I'm really avoiding in drafts, but I would definitely take Travis Kelsey and George Kittle early. Okay, give me one tight end that you like that may be at least a little bit under the radar. I, I liked how you gave me Zach Ertz as a potential bus guy. So that would be a guy that you're saying we may want to stay away from too early in the draft. But give me a guy that you think is a little too under the radar right now. Well, OJ Howard, if you know, if you're playing in, in leagues right now, OJ Howard is going really early. But I think that people in like kind of standard home leagues, um, he's gonna end up going too late. I think O.J. Howard absolutely explodes this year. Uh, But if you want to move down the radar a little bit, uh, Vance McDonald, I think, can be the biggest beneficiary of Antonio Brown leaving the Steelers. Vance McDonald was actually third in the NFL in yards after the catch behind George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. And he was number two behind only George Kittle. He had more broken tackles than Travis Kelsey, number two in the NFL. Um Struggle with kind of catching the ball early in his career, but I think he's kind of got it. And Ben Roethlisberger loves him. And his, um, I can hear you type in the background. You better not be drafting him in some draft. That I'm- <laughs> uh, but Vance McDonald is a guy that I, I literally try to get in every single draft. And you can get in every single draft because he's cheap enough. 
because you can get him in the seventh and eighth round. All right, I got to find a way to make sure that nobody who is in my fantasy football league is listening to this episode, this interview with you, because I got to get Vance McDonald now. He's got to be mine. Yeah, let's let's cut that part out. <laughs> let's talk about establish the run, man. What was the process for you? How that was formed? When did you decide that this is the right time to do it? And how did that all come together for you? Yeah, so you know, Adam Levitan and I, Adam Levitan worked at uh, Roto World for six years uh, with me. You know, we formed like a really good friendship over the years, and he he went he left uh, Roto World smartly. Uh, to go work for like DraftKings and Fantasy Labs. And he was a part owner of Fantasy Labs. And he really capitalized on kind of the, the boom of daily fantasy. Um, and I, I, you know, I did not. I stayed at the, the big corporation. And finally, I was kind of able to like, get out of my contract uh, with NBC slash Roto World. And um, we decided that we're gonna, we were going to form our own business. And, you know, it's just I, before I get too fat, bald and you know, dumb. I wanted to take a shot on myself. And that's kind of what we're doing with establish the run.com. And um, I can promise you that you will not find better uh, fantasy football information, whether it be preseason DFS, whether it be season long information, whether it be, you know, a draft guide that you're looking for, whether it be, you know, we're going to do XFL DFS after the season. Um, if you're into fantasy football, this is the website for you. Yeah, this is definitely a website, it seems, that is for the serious fantasy football player, for the serious DFS player, a place where you're really going to get a lot of bang for your buck. And it's not just you and Adam that are in together on this project, correct? No, uh, we also have uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, uh, who's at Frisco Josh on Twitter. He's maybe the best data analyst in media right now. He also writes for 538, which is one of the sharpest websites uh, on the internet when it comes to politics or um, uh, sports. And um, they do actually like, you know, data driven analysis. We also got uh, Pat Thorman who for uh, six or seven years worked at pro football focus. And he's really good at projecting um, snaps and pace for NFL teams uh, and also no huddle rates. And uh, if you kind of understand that a team that, is going to run like 12 more plays than uh, another team. Like they're going to have more opportunity to score fantasy points. Uh, so Pat Thorman is extremely, extremely valuable in that capacity. We also have Andrew Wiggins, who um, if you've played ever, ever tried to play high stakes uh, DFS, he's one of the best high stakes players uh, in the game. And then uh, also uh, Taylor Kaby, who was an old uh, a poker player uh, and started a, a website called card runners back in the day, which taught people how to play poker. Um, well now we're kind of teaching people how to get better at fantasy. Uh, and so he's got a really good, uh, advantage in that capacity. We also hired a uh, Brandon Thorne, who's maybe the best offensive line analyst, uh, to break down offensive lines. He's actually pretty optimistic about the bills offensive line, by the way, hmm. this year, I think more optimistic than, than most people might be loves big fan of Ty and Siki. He thinks that that offensive line could really take a step forward this year. But he recently did a, a column on a big column on ranking uh, offensive lines one through 32. He uh, he is he also speaks regularly with offensive line coaches throughout the NFL. Uh, and so he gives us kind of a competitive advantage when it comes to offensive line evaluation. That's really cool. You know, every I think every sports writer out there, every sports caster, every analysts, they're, they're known for something more than anything else. 
right. your case, it's certainly the matchup column. Obviously, that's going to be part of establish the run. What does that mean to you, that that column? That's what you're, you know, for more than just that, but that's your thing. You know what I'm saying? How much does that mean to you? I mean, I, it's something that I'm going to write until I die. You know, it's uh, it's a blast to write. It, it you know, it prepares me. It prepare, You know, it's good for myself. Like when I go on podcasts, you know, after like writing up a game or writing up the entire column, like going on a podcast, like I feel extremely prepared. Um, and I and it's it's helped over there, like sports better, like professional sports betters have reached out to me over the years and be like, oh, I just. You know, I, I love to uh, see your your score predictions for each game. Like, man, I don't even really put that much time into the score predictions. I put a lot of time into the actual write ups of the game, uh, but that that has helped them over the years. So um, it, it can help in a in a bunch of different capacities, I guess. And uh, but I'd, yeah, I mean, it's something that I started doing like you know eight, nine, ten years ago, and uh, I'm never going to stop doing it because it's it's so much fun. It's informative to myself, and I think it helps other people. One last question, and then we're going to wrap with the mini lightning round. This is about podcasting. I've heard you doing several podcasts with Ross Tucker. I've heard you as guests on other shows. Obviously, podcasting and podcasts in general is just a growing thing in the industry. It's becoming bigger and better than ever. How do you feel personally about podcasting? Is this something that you legitimately enjoy doing, or is it just another part of the job that you do is part of making a living, earning a living, and it's just something that you got to do? Or do you legitimately, honestly enjoy doing podcasts? Dude, I mean, I love talking ball, you know? So um, as long as, you know, we, and we could talk a little bit about me, we could talk a little bit about you, we could talk a little bit about life, but I like to talk about football, you know? And um, I enjoy talking to people that are knowledge, knowledgeable about football like yourself. And so... No question. I, I, I love to, to do podcasts. I mean, you know, it takes a lot more time or a lot less time than, than writing, you know, and uh, and we can exchange more ideas when we're just talking about the game um, than if I was going to write an article and you were going to write an article, you know. So, um, no, I, I have an absolute blast doing podcasts. Well, we're definitely going to talk about more than just football right here because it's time to wrap this up with my traditional mini lightning round. Pretty simple, man. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions, kind of like rapid fire style. Not a ton of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. Again, not a lot of deep thinking. You ready? You ready to do this? Let's go. All right. Favorite all-time athlete? Cal Ripken. You know a lot on a national level because you're not a Buffalo sports media guy. Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter you know from anywhere? Well, no, let's keep it to Buffalo because there's a lot of good personalities in Buffalo. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So let's keep it to Buffalo. I would say that um, Joe Buscaglia from an informational standpoint has always been like top three in the nation in terms of uh, beat writers. Yeah. Like in the nation. Um, And, you know, as someone who wakes up every morning and reads all the newspapers, you know, and, and looks at Twitter and you know, uh, like had like, you know, RSS feeds that, you know, sending me columns like Joe Buscaglia was, has always been top three and, and that is not going to change anytime soon. Now he's going to the athletic, uh, Ty Dunn, yeah. Oh, it's really big. Ty Dunn has become one of the best investigative reporters, really, you know, one of the like top five investigative reporters at Bleacher Report, his report 
on the Packers, and I know that this is not Buffalo related, but his report on the Packers about Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, was one of the best, you know, three pieces that I've read in the like is up there with like Seth Wickersham stuff. Um, I mean, he's he's fantastic. Uh, and then Tim Graham, if you want to talk about a guy that will make you laugh, Tim Graham will make you laugh. And yeah. I had the opportunity to meet, meet all three of those guys at the combine this year. And um, just absolute great guys, even better guys than you would expect. You know, like they were legit so cool to me. And um, I, I just I respect the hell out of my I, I love like the way that the Bills and the Buffalo just teams are covered. You know, even I know that Jerry Sullivan was kind of like a lightning rod, but he also had a lot of, you know, really good information um, I, I think that, you know, don't take for granted how well those teams are covered and certainly the bills and don't take for granted how well, how good that media, uh, kind of, uh, group is because you, you go across the nation, man, and it's hard to find, uh, as good a group of reporting and a, a, a good, a group of, of, uh, reporters as they have in Buffalo um, do not take that for granted. Yeah, I'm with you, man. No question about that. All great guys. They've, I've been able to have them all on my podcast. But anyway, getting back to you here, man. What is uh, what is your favorite place to visit? Yeah, so this year I uh, had the opportunity to take my daughter to go um, hang out with Warren Sharp in uh, in the Outer Banks in uh, North Carolina. Mo- maybe the most beautiful place that I've ever been in my life. Uh, and, um, it was a, a super relaxing, we were only there for like two days, but super relaxing atmosphere. And, um, that's one of my favorite places to be. I also love, uh, Cape Cod, uh, up in Massachusetts. Um, th- those are probably my two favorite places to go. Give me your first ever from your memory, childhood celebrity crush. <sighs> Topanga. That's the second straight person that said that on this podcast. That's crazy. Who else said it? Oh, crap. I just had him on the podcast on Tuesday. Nate Gary from WGR. He's a big Topanga stan as well. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send Nate a DM and be like, yo, man, Topanga. <laughs> what movie have you rewatched probably more than any other movie you've ever rewatched? Well, I didn't. Anti- well, it's actually the answer is Jaws, but that's only by myself. The movie that I have shown to the most people well, it's really just my daughter. I just make her watch it all the time. It's Sandlot. Uh, and she loves this movie. Please, if you have a child like under the age of eight, I will I will PayPal you $10 to just show your kid this movie. They will absolutely enjoy it. I mean, we've, you know, we still talk about it. Like we, the first time that I uh, I made my daughter watch it was, I don't know, a year ago. And we still talk about it to this day. And uh, she she loves the movie. Also, Goonies. Goonies is really underrated. Oh, yeah. Big time for sure. Name a TV game show that you think you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current one or one from when you were growing up. A game show you could get on and win some money. Oh, man. It was um, that old ESPN game show with uh, where you would compete against the, the one guy. Um, a beat to something. I can't think of it. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Stump or stump the, the, the yeah stump the I can't think of it man it's <laughs> stump the Schwab stump the Schwab stump the Schwab yes 
that would definitely be it. I actually, um, I used to be friends. Well, I'm still friends with them, but we haven't talked in a while. Um, but I, I, I was friends for a while, uh, you know, pretty decent friends with a guy who actually did stump the Schwab. Uh, his name was uh, in Bate Isles. Uh, he's in. He's um, based out of New York. He covers the Knicks. He actually did stump the Schwab, and you know, to this day, and no one knows what that means, but I know what it means. So every time I bring it up to him, he's like, "Yeah, baby, yeah," you know. <laughs> All right, a couple more here. You're on stage right now at karaoke, right? And in this world, you are an amazing singer, the best in the bar by a million miles. You grab the mic. What song are you picking that you're going to rock out to that's going to get the crowd that's watching you going on? the? On, they're on their feet. They're excited. They're singing along with you. What in your own mind, in your own world, is your signature karaoke song that you could perform so well? Uh, it would have to be a, a Tupac song because I'm, I'm a real big uh, Tupac fan. But uh, I don't know exactly what it would be. I'd have to think about that for a while. But um, Something Tupac? It wouldn't be like a super mainstream uh, it wouldn't be like California love or anything like that. It might be like troublesome. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a little bit more under the radar, but yeah, it, it would be a Tupac, Tupac song. All right. Second last question here. Okay. As we're taping this, you got 1,098 people that you follow on Twitter. It might be one less because you might unfollow me when this podcast is done, <laughs> but let's just say, in fact, that'll lead into my question here. I like to ask this question. Twitter messes up and they get rid of all your followers. And then at the end, there's a new policy and they say, you know what, Evan, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter now or one handle, one or the other. That's it. You could have a million followers. You got over 192,000 followers. You could keep those, but you could only follow one thing on Twitter now. One only. That's it. I know this is a tough question, but I got to get an answer. Who would it be? At Pat Moran tweet. No, no, no. Come on. (laughs) Let's be real here. Who you got? Come on. I'm asking, I'm asking the tough ones here. Schefter. Come on. I agree. You want your football new. If you're a football guy, it has to be Adam Schefter. All right. Last question, man. Three dinner guests, any air dead or live, any time frame ever sitting at your dinner table tonight, they're coming over. You're going to cook for them. Maybe have a drink. You can have any three people ever in the history of the world. Who you got? Sashi Brown. Okay, that's interesting. Stump the Schwab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and at Pat Moran tweets. <laughs> I'm there, dude. What are you cooking? Steak, bro. Steak. All right, man. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone out there listening, give Evan a follow on Twitter at Evan Silva. Of course, go check out EstablishTheRun.com. Brand new. They got great deals. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck over there. Thanks a lot, dude. I really appreciate you coming on. Been a long time coming. Glad to have you on. Very informative talk. Very entertaining. Glad to have you on, buddy. Go Bills. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system. Consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, guys, before I get out of here, it's an exciting time of year for football fans. Buffalo Bills training camp officially started. First practice on Thursday. 
I took to both Twitter and Facebook, putting out a message to Bills fans, asking you guys to send me your big Bills bold training camp predictions for this summer. Said that I would read some of the best responses on air. I'm going to take a couple minutes. That's what I'm going to do right now. Add a couple comments in as well. Let's start. Well, let's start with a couple jokesters, I guess. Greg Gagler on Twitter said, Trey White comes out of camp with the 2.18 goals against first teammates and kids visiting practice. Sabres consider trading Hutton and rolling with the goalie academy's headmaster as their backup. Nah, reason why, bro? Linus Allmark, do you trust him as a number one right now? I don't. I don't. At StanJ62 on Twitter. McDermott found crying in the shower because he can't give first team reps to Peterman. I wish I had a gong special effect. Come on, man. Come on, dude. There's a statue of limitations on the neat Peterman jokes for camp. Once the new camp rolls around, you can't joke about that no more. That's not good. Let's turn serious here. Famous Amos 34. No snark. Trent Murphy stays healthy through training camp and solidifies himself as defensive end starter opposite of Jerry Hughes. I like that, man. I don't hate that at all. Look, the Bills gave him good money in 2018 as a free agent. Guy's got an injury history, but when he's healthy, he's a good football player. I think you saw signs of that last year with Buffalo when he was healthy. So I don't think it's not feasible to say that the guy won't be a good starter if he can stay healthy. That is definitely the key. I I, I buy that, man. All right, here's a small cluster of wide receiver-related tweets. I'll read all of them, and then I'll have a comment afterwards. Let's start at leg arm. He says, Andre Roberts does not make the final 53. Too many other good wide receivers for the Bills to keep around. That is mostly used for returns. At Drew Dirkman on Twitter says, not very bold, but Sills makes the roster over Duke Williams. Sleeberth 585 says, Zay Jones, year three, major breakout. And Charles Roberts on Facebook says, well, this is tight end related. Tyler Croft goes by way of AJ McCarron. Ironically, Croft bought McCarron's house and also says Duke Williams snags the number six wide receiver spot. All right, those are some good ones here. Let's start Zay Jones. I agree with that. Year three has the potential at least to be a breakout year. I know that Robert Foster is a media darling. He's the fan darling right now. But I'll tell you what, he's going to have some work to do to to get on the field and have the kind of success that some people think he could have because I think he starts not, I think he is starting training camp as the Bills' fourth wide receiver right now. Every wide three receiver set that the Bills have with the first team featured Zay Jones and the two new guys, Cole Beasley, John Brown. So Foster's got some work to do just to get on the field. I think Zay Jones is going to have lots of opportunities to have that breakout year. I think it could happen. As for quickly here, let's get off track real quick. Tyler Croft goes by the way of AJ McCarron. You're basically insinuating that he's going to get traded. Someone else had said Dawson Knox is going to start. He is going to start probably because Tyler Croft won't be ready at the beginning of the season, but I don't see him getting traded or cut. Why would the Bills do that? They just, they signed him to a three-year deal. They like him. And I think he's going to get every opportunity once he's back and gets healthy to have, be a factor on this team. They got rid of Charles Clay. They got crap for, for depth at tight end right now. Two of the three, or, or even if they keep four tight ends, at least two of them could end up being rookies. Lee Smith is a blocker. He's not going to catch any passes. So I don't see why Tyler Croft would be traded, let alone cut. Not going to happen. As for Andre Roberts, well, I don't know that Duke Williams or Sills matter that much in terms of Roberts making the team. I think if the Bills keep six, and I do ultimately think they'll keep six, I think Isaiah McKenzie is the direct competition for Andre Roberts making the team. And I like Roberts better in that situation. I just do. 
As for that sixth spot, one person says Sills is going to make the team. One person says Duke Williams. There's no guarantee either of them make the team. But if one of them do, I'd give the slight edge right now going into camp to Sills. Only because watching that Bills Embedded series, they really wanted David Sills bad. I mean, they were on him after the draft immediately. They had Barkley, who had a connection to him, give him a call. I think Pagula might have even called him. They really wanted this guy. So I think he's going to have an opportunity to make this team for sure. Again, no lock. Either of them make the team. But of the two, I would probably right now take Sills over Duke Williams. Now I got a cluster of running backs related tweets. And I'm going to read them all and then give you a thought. Connor Manley, 202 on Twitter. Singletary is a starting running back by Camps End. Same with Knox at tight end. Knox, sure. All right, 716 Sports Guy. McCoy isn't on the final 53. Christopher Michael on Facebook says, Gore wins a starting job and McCoy's cut. MAJ Bobby on Twitter. Devin Singletary lights it up, forcing the hand when McCoy, who ends up being traded. Second one is Tyree Jackson, outplays Barkley, securing the backup quarterback spot. Barkley gets traded. Third, Shaq Lawson turns the page and turns himself into a top defensive end coming out of summer as the best DE on the roster. Wow. Mike Zazo on Twitter, 24. He says, McCoy will be the starter this year and even next year by re-signing. And Tom Mez on Facebook says, Patrick DeMarco's gone. All right, let's start. First, let's knock the non-tight end stuff out of Tyree Jackson. That's not happening, man. Come on. That's not happening. Most realistic, best case scenario for Tyree Jackson is the Bills. He plays so well that the Bills keep three quarterbacks on the 53. He plays so good that the Bills fear that they try to cut him and put him on the practice squad that someone else is going to claim him. If that's the case, it's the one scenario where the Bills may keep three quarterbacks. Besides that, there's no way that they're getting rid of Matt Barkley and Tyree Jackson. An undrafted rookie is going to be the number two to start the year. Josh Allen's just too young. Derek Anderson retired. They want that veteran presence with Matt Barkley. So no way in hell that's happening. Shaq Lawson turning the page. Sure, that could absolutely happen. I've been waiting for that to happen for a couple of years. He, he's almost there, but he hasn't been quite there. And I think that's why the Bills never committed to giving him that big 50-year option money. But anyway, best defensive end coming out of camp. No way. That's Jerry Hughes, dude. Come on. As for the running backs, this is interesting. Lots of love for Devin Singletary. I like Devin Singletary. The Bills drafted him in the third round. But I'm going to tell you, man, they drafted him to bring him along slowly. I was surprised they took any rookie this year in the draft in the first two to four rounds. I think the reason why is because they got two veterans from the learn in front of I don't think there's going to be any rush whatsoever with Devin Singletary. The only lock for him is that he's a lock to make the 53-man roster. That's it. As far as LaShawn McCoy, look, if you listen to this podcast regularly, I've been saying for months and months and months and months that I thought he was going to get cut. But I think that ship sailed. If that was going to happen, why wouldn't it have happened already? There's no reason now to cut him. There's no benefit to the football team to cut him. Certainly not salary cap implications because the Bills are in no cap trouble. So saving that 6.4 or whatever it may be, it means nothing, dude. It means nothing. Nothing. So if McCoy gets cut, that means he's terrible this summer. That's the only way. If he comes out this summer, and I mean, he's absolutely lost it. He's slow. He can't take a hit anymore. Any of that stuff, then sure, that that could happen. But that is literally the only way. Frank Gore winning the job, eh, it could happen. I so see a committee where it's McCoy and Gore. I think that's why they signed Gore literally on day one of free agency that maybe neither guy's a 20 carry per game guy, but I could see them getting, you know, McCoy getting 10 to 14 carries. Maybe Gore gets eight to 10, something like that. I I don't like, like if they do cut McCoy or if they cut Shady, 
I'm not sure that I want Frank Gore getting 15 to 20 carries a game at this age right now. And I'm not sure that Singletary is going to be ready as a rookie. I think in terms of the roster, the 53-man roster, the real question is the Bills are going to keep four halfbacks. Is that fourth halfback going to be TJ Yeldon or is it going to be Sonoris Perry? Yeldon is a good veteran. He can catch out of the backfield, but he's not the greatest running back. Sonoris Perry is a special teams guy. And if the Bills are, you know, dedicated in that position for a special teams guy, then it's TJ Yeldon, I think, who could be in trouble. For, for Shady to get cut, he's going to have to be absolutely terrible over the next handful of weeks. That's the only way. It's the only way. As for Patrick DeMarco being gone, why? Are the Bills not keeping a fullback? If they're not keeping a fullback, okay, get rid of them. But if they are, is he a captain too, by the way, or was last year? If they're keeping a fullback, he's making the roster. He's sticking around. Couple more here, then we'll get then we'll get out of here. Justin Barron's on Facebook. I like this. Levi Wallace will beat out Gaines and Johnson for the second starting quarterback position. Cornerback. That's a good one. I like that. Could happen. I don't like EJ Gaines that much. I know he was good here a couple of years ago and he was brought back this offseason. But for me, I think it's Levi Wallace against Kevin Johnson. I like Johnson. He's a former first rounder. If he could stay healthy, I think he's the guy that could definitely push and possibly supplant Levi Wallace as the second corner. So definitely one of the bigger things that I'm looking forward to seeing in camp over the next handful of weeks. Uh, the Bills guy on Twitter says, I guess it's not bold to say Feliciano starts at guard now that he has started camp with the ones. That was mine. I still think that's semi-bold. I thought Spencer Long would have started camp as the starting right guard. I thought he would have got first snaps with the ones. Which, by the way, first day of camp, it was from left to right. It was Dawkins, Spain, Mitch Morris, Feliciano, and Cody Ford, the rookie. That was the starting offensive line reps day one of camp. Um, There's going to be a battle for a lot of these positions. Don't put too much stock into it right away. Feliciano is definitely in the mix no means at all is he a lock to be a starter which kind of i'll talk about that at the end because i got a take on that on my own in fact you know i'll get to that right now because this is my take and this is how we'll end it i think that when week one begins i think tainaseki is going to be the bill's starting left tackle i know Deion Dawkins is there right now he's younger he's Going into his third year, it's his make or break year. But I just think Ty Naseki is the best left tackle on this football team. And I think at the end of the day, when camp's over or before camp's over, hopefully, so they get some continuity with this line, I think Sean McDermott's going to take a look and say, what's best for this football team in 2019? And I feel like when he does that, he's going to conclude that Ty Naseki is the best left tackle on this team. I know he's getting reps on the right side with Cody Ford right now. He could probably play guard if he has to. There'll be a lot of combinations over the next couple of weeks that we'll see. But everything I've been told that I've seen, that I've read, is that Tainaseki is far better on the left side than the right side. I know he did a tremendous job filling in for Trent Williams with Washington last year. I think the Bills brought in Tainaseki to be a starter. I think they gave him starter money. So I could totally see him being the starting left tackle. As for Dawkins, I don't know. Naturally, the first move would be, oh, what about the right tackle spot or the right guard spot? Everything, again, that I've read and heard and seen about Deion Dawkins is that he's not very good on the right side. The film from camp was awful. So if he were to not start a left tackle, he would probably start either a left guard or maybe he doesn't start at all. Hey, there's no lock that he's even a starter on this team right now. You take all these offensive linemen, you better write them in pencil, except for Mitch Morris. He is the one guy that you could take a pen and write him in as the starting center. The rest of the spots are up for grab. 
And again, at the end of the day, lots of things, lots of ways this could play out. But I think Ty Naseki ultimately is going to be the starter at left tackle. Thanks again, guys. Lots of interesting replies there. Football's back, folks, man. It's back. Should be fun to see how this plays out over the next couple weeks. Bill's training camp. I'm excited. All right. That is going to do it for this episode. Big, big thank you again to my man, Evan Silva. That was a lot of fun. I really like him a lot. I know a lot of Buffalo Bills fans like to hate on him because he's been tough on the team through the years. But you know what? They haven't been a very good football team. When you're not a good football team, the national guys are not going to be very nice to you. Evan's a fair dude, very knowledgeable guy, and I thought that was a lot of really good insight, both on the Bills and the NFL. I enjoyed that a lot. So thanks again, Evan. I already said it. I'm going to be back in Buffalo. This is the last episode. I'll be in Florida for a couple weeks. Going to be back in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Tim Graham, Mike Harrington, Eric Wood, Michelle Girardi-Zumwalt, Joe Yurden. I got all them coming up on future episodes. Going to be taped face-to-face in person. Cannot wait to do that. I'm so excited, man. I really, truly am. It's going to be fun. You guys will enjoy it, too. In the meantime, you should have already done this already. But if you have not, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast right now. When you subscribe, new episodes are automatically going to be sent directly to your phone, your computer, your laptop, iPod, whatever the hell it is that you use. And within just literally seconds of being released, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. That's always the benefit of being a subscriber. Got new episodes every Tuesday and every Friday. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Tweets. I'll have a lot more information over the next couple days on what place I'm going to be at taping these episodes and who's going to be where with me. You can come out, meet us, say hello. Really looking forward to that. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. I truly mean it, man. When you take 60 to 90 minutes out of your day, not just once, but twice a week to listen to this podcast, it means the world to me. It really, truly does. So have a good weekend. I'll be back in Buffalo on Tuesday. I'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.